0: So in those six months, I did what felt like a decade of work. But it wasn't that I woke up and said, I want to become a better person. Like oftentimes it's in reaction to a feeling that we don't like, you know, the death of a parent or, you know, the the death of a marriage or, you know, some other sort of thing. And so in some ways, that prompting isn't always something we have control over.
1: Welcome to Therapist Expanded where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone so join me your host aaron gibb and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential Hello, therapists expanding. I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you for listening. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Joe Sanok. I started following Joe's podcast back in 2015 as I was preparing to leave an agency, and it's kind of a dream to get to interview Joe. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And in here, Joe gives you kind of a mini masterclass, a quick review to use marketing to improve your practice. And soon I'm going to be releasing a mini podcast series all about marketing and what it really means and how marketing and mindset are magic for therapist business owners. So Joe really kicks us off and check out the show notes at the end for all of the great resources. Here's to your fulfillment. Okay, so I'm here today with Joe Sanock. Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
0: Oh, Erin, I'm so excited to be here today.
1: Oh, ditto. I'm pumped. So I'm going to start with the same question I usually do, which is tell us about yourself, your work, and your passions in the field.
0: Yeah. Let me start with my passions because I think that for me fuels everything else. Work-wise, I'm passionate about helping people build businesses that they absolutely love, that help them thrive, that helps to fuel the kind of lifestyle they want, but also the kind of impact they want to make on the world that comes in the form of private practice, but also sometimes comes in the form of helping people podcast or do e-courses. And I've even had some really random people come through my doors, like an online Taekwondo company and, you know, an oil and gas environmentalist. And, you know, to just help people reshape the way they think about their work, the way that they think about their impact, and that it's not mutually exclusive, like we often learn in grad school that you have to be the martyr and you have to be really low income in order to make an impact on the world you know i think we can have it both ways and we can also have a healthy lifestyle that really allows us to have time for our friends or our family or the people and issues that are really important to us i mean that's my passion and i get so excited and juiced up over people that are just wanting to challenge those norms of what they were taught And then how I get to do that is I podcast about private practice, I help people from that first moment that they say, you know, I think I want to launch a private practice all the way through, hey, I'm leaving my private practice, or I want to taper that down and do something different on maybe a national scale or e-courses or, you know, whatever that looks like for them. And so that's what I get to do for work. Beautiful. And I can relate to all of it. I'm overjoyed that we're connecting around this. i know when i interviewed you for my show it was like oh my gosh like we are cut from the same cloth
1: yeah i think you just described all of my passions so i was like shaking my head like yeah (laughs) and the piece around challenging the norms in order to what i would call open the doors in someone so that they can do those things that they can allow themselves to do those things
0: yeah well even just you know challenging the norms around what a counseling career has to look like to realize how much of the world needs mental health teaching in some way really you know what i was taught was you know you work in a nonprofit, and then maybe you luckily get hired by community mental health and then if you're really lucky you work for a university and maybe you get tenure and then you're there (laughs) so it's like but i i did all that by the time i was in my like mid-30s and thought I don't know if I wanna just be in higher ed for the rest of my life. Like it feels like there's something more inside of me. And I'm sure we'll get to some of that story, but to realize that there's a lot out there that just needs our creativity and our curiosity to, to dive into areas that maybe mental health hasn't had a seat at the table, but really needs to be there.
1: Oh yeah, you said so much there. The limitlessness mindset, I think, is something that starts to really benefit therapists. Like just to get into that mindset, It really opens people up. I just finished an activation where it was all about put the idea of your career aside, do some journeying. And it was fascinating to take people to the pre-conditioned state. So we're talking like two, three, four years old in them, joining hands with that little one that doesn't know who they're supposed to be, doesn't know work responsibility, doesn't know money. And it was like that that's still in there i mean we can mm. all create from that place like when i look at you talking about your creative passions it's like i can sense that energy in you of like yeah that wonder that what you call curiosity i mean that's what was present preconditioning and it seemed magical when people tapped into that they were like the doors opened because from a different state we have a different story and we have a different strategy and then that's where business comes in for me i like to go in the reverse order just go around the conditioning. And it's like a whole universe opens up in a person.
0: Yeah, I have a memory that I hadn't thought of in a really long time when you said that about preconditioning. I remember when I was probably three years old, my parents first house that they had bought. I was the oldest and I had a little brother who was a baby and every night right around bedtime, this train would go by my house and you know, as a three year old, I never wanted to go to sleep. And so I remember what I wanted to be as a kid was at night, I was going to drive a train and during the day I was going to be an actor and it was like, and I would never have to sleep. (laughs) And so it was like, I'd never have to sleep. I would get to ride on this transportation that I was really intrigued by and I would get to do this thing that I thought would be interesting and just that idea of like choosing joy choosing the things that we're curious about there was something about acting that I found fun and even still like you know I kind of forgot that for a while but joined an improv troupe four years ago and to find that and you know elements of that come into my career but also elements of it are purely just for joy outside of my career
1: oh yeah But it's not surprising when you look back at that preconditioned state, that is actually when you're living fulfilled later, you can usually trace it back to some roots. Like if you're happy, joyful and fulfilled, it's not an accident that we end up back there. I've seen this throughout my career, even working with clients where they read me what they wrote when they were 10 years old, what they wanted to do. They forgot, like you said, we went away from it and I did that too, but they read it later and they're like, can you believe this? I forgot this. I found this in a drawer. And it's like, there's something we call it temperament, maybe in mental health, but there's something preconditioned in us that the little guy in you who didn't want to go to sleep speaks to me to this passion for life and creativity. So thank you, Joe.
0: Well, every single report card as a kid, like it's funny when I look at them. it said, Joey talks to his neighbor too much. And it's like, (laughs) now I get paid to talk to my neighbors across the globe. So is that a bad thing? Uh, I don't think so. I I cared more about the people than the education. (laughs) Yes,
1: I can completely relate. If Erin could stop distracting the people around her. And it was like, why? (laughs) They were telling me. and, And actually, as I got older, they were just telling me the things they needed support around, honestly. Yeah.
0: Well, and honestly, maybe Catholic school should have been a little more engaging. <laughs> so That's a
1: mic drop right there. But <laughs> we're probably putting my daughter in Catholic school and she's like, I don't think so. We need to have a serious talk about this. And I was like, okay, well, listen. <laughs> so I wonder then, you said you were this little kid, this joie de vivre, you didn't want to sleep, you wanted to do all these cool things. You fast forward, you forgot it for a while. So I'm wondering if in that forgetting place where a lot of us adults go, if there was a time where you see you were really holding yourself back?
0: I wouldn't frame it as forgetting. I think that I there was a thread that was there that I always even when I was working in nonprofits, like I was trying to pull in like the arts and, you know, the things like to make the jobs. Like I never had a job that I just put up with. Throughout college I had this like hippie painted car and I think I maintained that alternative view of the world within those jobs, but maybe didn't understand, especially in my 20s and 30s, how much we get to create the world that we want. And so thinking I'm going to follow the script, you know, I'm an Enneagram three achiever. So it's like, here's the playbook and I will follow that playbook and make it happen and usually be really successful in it and then get a lot of affirmation for it. And so that's a self-fulfilling like event cycle. And so I bought into that and did a lot of that. I wouldn't fully say I forgot it though, but I think part of it is to your question of when I really like kind of stepped away from a lot of that. You know, I think that there are just phases of life that are hard. And so I tend to, as a posture towards life, have very few regrets, even if there's things that I could have done differently. And if I was to live life again, would probably do it differently. But then those things always inform that next step as well. And without the really shitty parts of life, like, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And so I would frame it as I went through some phases where I maybe didn't push myself hard enough to try new things, and probably took on too much of the burden of of being the sole income provider, you know, when I was married, I would actually it would be more of the personal side of how that informed the career of, you know, allowing myself within that relationship to take on so much to just when it was tough to I'm just a nose to the grindstone instead of saying what does Joe need here? Like what like do I want to do all the things that are being asked of me and stand up for what I think feels like inequitable within the relationship which then fed into I just need to keep like notes of the grindstone in the job to pay for the personal life. Uh, So it's probably more that personal side that informed the career more than that. There was career choices that I really would change or fell flat on my face.
1: I can hear all of that. And I bet you there's a lot of people listening who can relate because I had someone on my podcast or I was on hers and she's an accountant or therapists she said one of the reasons she loves working with therapists is they are highly compliant. And it was like, yeah, we are very compliant. And we're, we're often taught to be rule driven, even when we're alternative thinkers. Yeah, I was always far outside the norm as a therapist very much. But even still, learning how to serve others and learning what you were just describing the what some might call, and I mean this not as a judgment, because I've been there and probably am there on some level. is like the codependence we were taught as helpers, yeah. you know, just part of being praised for doing good work, being praised for being pairing is it's easy to get into the kind of thing you're describing. And I heard the distinction that you didn't forget. And I think that's important. I forgot. So that was probably me just sort of projecting my own experience. I went through a long time of forgetting addiction and trauma to come back to being that little kid. But you didn't. You kept that thread, but got kind of lost in the interpersonal thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that even just looking at the last two and a half years of uncoupling, getting divorced, being a primary parent for my kids, it's interesting how whether it's religion you know midwest culture you really had a narrative of relationship ladders of here's the next steps here's the script and then to be like this thing that kind of everyone especially you know in how i was raised like very few people were getting divorced and to now have this thing that was like the big taboo has happened and i survived it and in fact feel happier on the other side of it then is like okay if this thing that i'm really scared of actually wasn't true what else isn't true like i could actually Design relationships how I want them to be. I could actually, you know, really fully be honest with who I want to be and then allow those people that want that fully honest Joe to join me. And that carries over into my business. Even yesterday, I was on a pre consulting call with someone. So I always do these half hour calls to see if we're a fit for, you know, ongoing consulting and really just having an honest conversation about where this person was at. And to, you know, we went into some areas that were very personal. And with this individual, it, it was a selling point. And that wasn't my point, but it was, wow, we are so aligned in how we think and where we're headed. And, and for him, it was just like, oh my gosh, I so much want you to be my consultant. Cause we match up in so many different areas in my authenticity, in my honesty of what in the past I would have viewed as being unprofessional or, you know, not this like rigid robot of like you know, a blank slate actually helped me make the sale, helped me be able to serve this person and probably is gonna give him even better outcomes because from day one, he knows, oh my gosh, Joe's my person, we're diving into consulting, let's do this.
1: You said so much there and having just finished this activation and then presented my course to people, it was like that conditioning about be invisible, be the tabula rasa, be be there for others, is one of the biggest issues in therapist marketing when it comes to therapists trying to launch trying to market doing what you're talking about putting out websites putting out that it's like the more we are who we are that's actually a service to the world because we attract the people we're meant to i'll have worked with i've worked with therapists who are very uncomfortable deeply uncomfortable about marketing and it's kind of like well i'll sort of not be who I am and then that will be safer but then actually what they're trying to avoid which is pigeonholing or they're trying to not exclude people trying to hide a little bit is they end up attracting people who then meet them and go like your marketing and who you are aren't aren't the same they actually do the create the thing they didn't mean to which is entice people and then go but that's not who you are when we are truly who we are we're like a magnet to the people who are supposed to work with us yeah yeah
0: Yeah. i fully agree i think that you know the more that we can realize that we are the differentiator between anyone else you and i could both talk about growing your business and the way that you would talk about it would be very different from how i would even though we're very similar in a lot of ways we still would have very different techniques very different examples very different modalities and there's going to be people that would work with you and thrive. And those same people, if they worked with me, maybe wouldn't do as well or vice versa. And so yeah. just realizing that that idea of even competition, if we just throw that out the window and just say, just like, be your authentic self, of course, you know, it's not, I don't believe that you just, you know, are your authentic self sit around and then all of a sudden people flock to you. Like, you've got to still put yourself out there. You still got to make sure people like know, like, and trust you all that Zig Ziglar stuff, but it can still be within you know, how we run our private practices, how we run our consulting businesses.
1: 100%. Yes. Well, then you may have already described this. And I think your life is probably a testament to this question. But if you have more to add, tell us about a time you really went outside of your comfort zone then and went after something.
0: Yeah, I would say when I left my full-time job at the college, there was a lot of opinions stacked against that. My dad was a school psychologist, retired from the local intermediate school district. My mom was a, a school nurse, retired from that. My whole life, the story was do well in school and someone will hire you. And I did well in school and lots of people hired me. And so the idea that you're in one of the highest paying counseling jobs, which still wasn't that much in northern Michigan, and you're going to leave that you have a state pension, you have all you know great health benefits, you've got two little kids, you're at the time, a stay at home mom as a wife, and you're going to give all that up was crazy to most people. And I knew I had to try. And so, you know, when my youngest was born, I took the full family medical leave act and took six months off working you know, 10 to 20 hours a week, basically, to just cover the health insurance costs, but then had the private practice on the side. And every month that I I did that uh, was financially better than the month before. And then by the end of it, I, I went to my boss and I, I just said, you know, I'll come back at 20 hours a week if you'll give me my full-time salary. And she just laughed and said, you know, I can't do that. And it was one of those, I'll at least give an offer. And I'm actually really glad she said no, but it was, you know, I'll at least have the courtesy to say, hey, if you really need me, I can stay at like twice my rate. But to me, the central question I was asking was, would I rather try and and leave and run this private practice? And at the time, the podcast was really kind of getting going, getting some good traction. Would I rather leave and try and potentially fail? Or would I rather stay here and never try and never know what I'm made of? And to me, the disappointment of never trying was greater than the potential for failing. And I think too often, we don't really think through what do i want to intentionally do here like which regret is worse uh, because either way we're going to have regrets in life we're going to have things that we go oh man i should have done this i should have done this but if we at least say which regret to me would be easier to stomach for me it was i'd rather say i gave it a whirl I fell flat on my face. You know, if I have to start back at the bottom as a foster care supervisor or something like that, I have the track record, I can get a job. And even it could be outside of the counseling field if I need to make money. But to me, that central question was so helpful when I discovered that for myself to say, you know what, I'm gonna give this a whirl. And you know, when I left, I never turned back.
1: Mm -hmm. I think about the regrets of the dying and that's the number one regret is not going after the things, trying to be who someone else wanted us to be. So you named kind of them both there. The like not going after things is what we actually regret and trying to be who other people want us to be. When I left my very cushy government job in the Arctic, unlike most counseling jobs, it paid incredibly well. And it had the kind of pension that only exists one other place in the world. The kind of pension that was obscene because it's a bit of a bribe to stay in the Arctic. And Mm -hmm. people thought I was insane. I was like, these golden handcuffs are getting tighter and tighter. I'm going to die here. Like I felt so burnt out, but I still got that message. And even when I would open up to people about like, I cannot do this anymore. They'd still be like, yeah, bud." Mm -hmm. so it was the conditioning all around me. And I actually benefited from it. I learned that the naysaying strengthened my resolve. It could do either one. So I felt the part of me that wanted to be like, yeah, this is why I've been staying. I should stay. It's safe. My kid, my husband, the whole story. But I also felt the little fighter in me every time go, no, like this, mm-hmm. I cannot do this. And I, something similar in me was brewing of like, I can make money anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I can make well, money. I
0: think where sometimes these discussions go for people is they're like, yeah, I'm going to just go go do me. And it's like, there is a place for people to have feedback in your life. Yeah. Uh, so we don't need to throw that out. Also, are you following those voices while muting your own? Yeah. Or are you amplifying your voice and muting all these people that care about you? Like, And so, so often it mm-hmm. just sways in one direction or the other, which either way is unhealthy to me. And so yeah. find that way to transcend and include and say, what's the best part of this? Yeah, my parents deeply care about me. They cared that both my daughters had heart issues. You know, yeah. I had great health insurance, you know, they didn't want to see me fail, they were coming from a place of love. Yeah. And I can say thank you. And I believe in my abilities here. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had friends like my friend Taylor, who every week we walk together, and he's like, there are people way dumber than you that have been successful in business, like, just go do it. Yeah. And so it's like, You know, to have voices of people that care isn't a bad thing. And do we have to just follow them blindly? No, in the same way, we wouldn't follow our own heart just blindly without having some rational thinking behind it and having a little bit of feedback. And so, so often on social media, I feel like we see this like you be you. And it's like a very immature version of that, where it's just this, like, I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm going to mic drop my family, my responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But but there, there's a middle ground that to me is important to make sure we differentiate from either end of that spectrum because you know maybe you know the people in our lives you know could say things that were like you know I hadn't thought of that thank you that's a new perspective that helps me make a better decision than I would had you not spoke up
1: yeah for me that was my husband so i think that there is an important factor there i would say that most people were in the camp of coming from a lot of fear and i could feel that the fear because underneath it was that they cared Yeah, I don't think they would have felt that profound fear for me and even in themselves if it wasn't something they felt I could lose. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there was care there and I was very respectful to them, but I still felt in me that it was like, I still need to listen. It was still a gift. Every time I heard their fear, it was like, oh, thank you, because it was really mirroring the fear in me, truly. And it was about which voice am I going to listen to? But yeah, my husband was the one who was really supportive, but also could bring out the like, have you thought about this? Because like, Mm -hmm. he could sense the immature part of me. I think that was like, I just want to leap. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: I think that's where it's, you know, people are only going to take you as far as they've gone. Both my parents worked mm -hmm. in the schools. That's what they knew. They didn't know entrepreneurship. They didn't know anything about the world of podcasting or like, they just didn't know it. And and so of course, they're going to go back to it. And at the time, I was very angry that they weren't just blindly supporting me. Mm -hmm. I almost wanted to be like, here's the numbers, like, look at how much I'm making in the private practice. But I'm like, I don't need to prove myself there. And so I think when we make those kinds of decisions, whatever the leap is, it could be leaving your full time job, it could be starting a group practice, it could be saying, okay, I don't have the same passion for therapy anymore. I want to do some consulting or e-courses or podcasting it's always gonna be scary. Like The question is how much do we let the external world inform our internal world? I was just listening to Michael Singer, his podcast yesterday, he wrote The Untethered Soul and just like a really good teacher that I follow. Um, and he was talking about how much we just blindly follow the external world. And then we try to change and shape the external world to make our insides feel better versus saying, the external world's gonna do what it does. I get to choose how I respond to it. So. You know, he was talking about even just like, you know, the weather change when you're supposed to go camping and it's raining and you'd be mad at that, but the rain clouds are going to be there. And like you get to make the choice of what your reaction is because that has nothing to do with you. The rain clouds aren't mad at you, they're it's just rain clouds.
1: <laughs> it's impersonal, it's the surrender and the uh, non resistance. Absolutely. That's the answer to acceptance. You said something there, though, that to me, as we look at what's usually my final question, of the final questions i think i have another one but you said the thing that for me is mental health revolution which is understanding that we as therapists will only take our clients as far as we've gone you said people will only take you as far as they've gone Mm -hmm. to me it's the reason one of the many reasons as therapists to look at who we really are and living as fully and freely as we can because actually in doing that we not only move our lives further we move our clients' lives further just by extension of that, what opens up in the therapy space, in the coaching consulting space, in our family space, changes when we actually be who we really are and we move ourselves further, we take everybody further. So, I mean, to me, that's mental health revolution. It's not overthrowing government and and insurance companies. It's, It's on the self level going, how do I be fully and freely myself? And what does that look like in my career? because it moves everybody further. We're all winning. It's not a win-lose pitting our needs against others. So that's my shtick. And when you said that about what they can only take you as far as they've gone, it was like, yeah. So I would love to hear in your words, what does mental health revolution mean to you?
0: Mm -hmm. I agree with so much of what you said there. And I think that that is such a good place to start with the personal and like our own development. I do think that so much of our personal development stems from some sort of need. Like I did more self-work in the first six months of my uncoupling than I've probably done in my entire life. You know, I would wake up when the sun came up and be like, I can't believe this is my life right now and couldn't go back to sleep. And so I needed to do like two hours of meditation, exercise, journaling, reading, like just to get through the day. So in those six months, I did what felt like a decade of work. But it wasn't that i woke up and said i want to become a better person like oftentimes it's in reaction to a feeling that we don't like you know the death of a parent or you know the the death of a marriage or you know some other sort of thing and so in some ways that prompting isn't always we have control over i mean it can be for sure like we can say i want to become a better person i'm going to do these things but oftentimes i'd say it's in reaction so i would say assuming that we start there to me mental health revolution is the concept that we can create what we want. We can create the life that we want, and as an extension, the business that we want, and the way that we interact with the world. Yes, there's lots of great scripts out there of you know just following a specific narrative or doing a specific type of private practice, but the freedom that, whether it's technology or open source ideas, or even just access to information and implementation now, is nothing humans have ever seen before. And so we have a industrial narrative that's been handed to us, you know, that really, you know, happened less than 100 years ago when Henry Ford gave us the 40-hour work week in 1926, that we're still living out, that it's a machine version of the world, instead of what I would say is an organic version of the world, an evolutionary one, where our businesses can evolve, shape, outgrow the old version of the business. And when we see that, instead of saying, oh, I'm trapped in this business, we can say, okay, what's the next evolution of this business? You know, I, I'm sick of therapy. My other therapists aren't. Like, what does that mean now without judgment and just saying, yeah, who I am this year is different than last year. I'm no longer interested in doing, you know, these forms of therapy. Okay, great. Let's let's out-evolve ourselves and and do it in a practical way. And so to me, the revolution is like, we don't have a narrative or script we have to follow, but then that's also a gigantic challenge for people to figure out, well, then what is the opportunity? And to me, that's where, you know, finding other people, whether that's in community or leaders or consultants or podcasts or information, just say, how are people doing it? Like, how are people doing business differently than the average person? And so that immense freedom also has immense challenges and responsibilities that come with it. But to me, no longer do we or our clients have to put up with a lifetime of, you know, working a job we hate, or, you know, just sticking around for the pension, we we literally can create the lives we want. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's gonna be handed to us. It's not a magic wand where we just do a vision board and all of a sudden it happens. There's a lot of work that goes into it. But we can we have the capacity to change that and to have a revolution in our own lives that then trickles to our clients and trickles to our communities.
1: Yeah. I love what you said about an evolution, because you said without judgment, When I said we don't need to pit our desires and our needs against our former self who chose a certain career, against anyone else who's still absolutely loving it or not loving it, but isn't ready for change. We don't need to pit anything. And I found when I think about our deeply codependent society, there's often that that idea that if we go after what we want, we're pitting our needs against someone, something, our former self, our future self, it's this interesting win-lose phenomenon and it's it's always win-win uh, in my experience I mean always is a generalization but when we actually be who we are and we go after what we want it isn't pitting against anyone and that's not that people won't say that and that isn't also that we won't meet challenges yeah what I've seen in working with therapists now since 2017 is the challenges are often inward challenges. They're not the ones we think that will happen on the outside. They're not actually about the things we usually fear. They're in us, it's conditioned. We've really taken the external world in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with that. In that, you know, a lot of that external world and the internal work are often the barriers to success. And then the other side of it is access to information and access to implementation. You know, we have so much access to information. I could go on YouTube right now and figure out how to change any part on my dryer. Now, do I want to change a part on my dryer? No, not at all. And so then, you know, I'm going to look for someone that's going to help me implement it. And so figuring out where do we choose to take in information and do things ourselves and, and just bootstrap it? And then where do we choose to have people join us in implementing things to speed up our progress? To me, that's where if we can figure out our own junk that gets in the way, mute that down, and then have you know a person or people join us in implementing. I mean, that's the secret sauce that to me leads to a successful and thriving practice or business.
1: as I was naming this course that I made, those were the words. It was like, I did this the hard way and I'd love to show you what I wish I had had, you know, in all the different ways that I did it. It was fascinating where I didn't accept help where I did. Yeah. And I see that in the lives of all the therapists I've seen around me, there isn't one way to do this. And the more support and the more we discern to me, that's that discernment is everything. The discernment of who are we listening to in ourselves and others, what's really for us, taking it in with curiosity and choosing what we really want and leaving the rest. So, I'm wondering if, as we're kind of coming to a close, two things. If you could tell us if someone is just starting or they're not just starting, but their business isn't going the way they want, and you're looking at something like launching, marketing, what's the thing that you wish you knew? What's the thing you'd really love to share? And also then I'd love for you to tell us where people can find you.
0: Yeah, I would say the thing that for me, when we're looking at marketing is to work backward a little bit and to say, why are we marketing? So you want to bring in new clients, but why do you want to bring in new clients? Well, I want to make more money. Okay. Is new clients the only way to make more money and to like work backward from the marketing and say, well. Like if you want more clients, like and you're on all these crappy insurance panels and getting paid seventy one dollars and twelve cents, maybe you need to leave those insurance panels. Maybe you need to choose just the higher level ones. Maybe you need to have different partnerships. And so, you know, when when people start with any certain point, I, we have this exercise called the blinders off exercise, where you say if the thing that you think you have to do was not an option, so say marketing, uh, how would you still achieve the same goal? To just brainstorm some some areas to say. Is that even where we should spend our time? And so I would start with, like, is marketing where you should spend your time? first and foremost? you know, your business isn't going great? For most people, yeah, it is. But we want to know why we're doing this. Um, and so it may be that we need to increase your private pay rate, you know, you know by quite a bit. and then we need to have you be a sponsor at a gala instead of doing Google ads. Like I don't know. Um it, we would want to then, after we figure out some of your goals, define, Really, who are you targeting? So sketch out an ideal client or business avatar to say, you know, where do these people hang out? Like, what do they do? Uh, Get in their head, name that person, pick a picture that really represents them. And then I would say, even before you start putting money into marketing and time into marketing, make some connections around where that ideal client hangs out. So if they're hanging out at yoga studios, reach out to other therapists that serve that market because they might get full and need to refer to you you will know, reach out to therapists that don't serve that market, create some content around that particular niche. So have some good blog posts, have some good, you know, infographics, things like that. Those are to me, just like baseline things before you really get into marketing. Because if, if someone comes to your website, and you know, they're a certain profile of a person you're wanting to attract, and then they get to your website, and they're like, wait, this doesn't align with what I want, we want to have that infrastructure of the, the website, the content, the way you talk about the world to line up with that ideal client now assuming you have all of that and you know your why you know your why you want to grow you have that basic infrastructure and then you go into marketing then i would say we'd want to look at you know making sure that you understand you know paid marketing and you know also free marketing what what is the content marketing you know doing things like local radio being you know in the local paper things like that doing press releases and then doing paid marketing where you're doing A-B testing where you're running two different types of ads against each other and then figuring out, okay, this ad got me four clients. This one got me zero. Okay. I'm going to keep doing the four clients one. And then lastly, you know, people just understand the basics of like, what's the lifetime value of a client. If you're charging a hundred bucks a session and your average client comes 10 times, they're worth a thousand dollars financially. And so to say, if you spend a hundred bucks on clicks to get one new client, that's, That's trading a dime for a dollar. Like, that's a pretty good deal. And so, just understanding some of those basics in regards to kind of technique. And then, lastly, we'd want to be, you know, checking and adjusting. So, in lean manufacturing, they have this idea of plan, do, check, adjust. So, we want to be iterating over time to improve our marketing, you know, either turning on that nozzle or turning down that nozzle based on how many people are coming into the practice.
1: People, Joe just gave you a lot there. I hope that that was. That was incredible because to me, you gave the, the, all the steps to basic marketing, which are, I would still say defining your ideal client all that is marketing. You just haven't put it out into the world necessarily yet, but that is it. Start with the, with, I love your blinders off exercise because it's like, start with the actual thing you want. The answer isn't always bring in more low paying clients. It's like, what do you really want? Yeah. So I love that. And you gave a tremendous amount of information there for people that if they implement even half of it, they'd probably see a huge
0: shift in their business. Yeah. So where can people find you, Joe? Yeah. So we have the Practice of the Practice podcast. We have over 800 episodes of interviews all around starting, growing, and scaling a private practice. So that's a great place if you're into podcasts, as I'm sure you are if you're listening to this podcast. And we also have a free e-course series where we put together all of our checklists, opt-ins, free videos so that you didn't have to opt into every single one. And that's over at pillarsofpractice.com, pillarsofpractice.com. You can select that you're starting a solo practice or growing a solo practice or growing a group practice. And there's two different tracks that we'll just walk you through. So we have eight different videos. We call them eight minute experts where we literally set the timer and say, give us your best tips on websites, SEO, money. So we have a bunch of videos in there, checklists and, and things to help you really grow your uh, group practice or grow your solo practice.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate your time. Mm,
0: Erin, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.